For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to the latest, though admittedly we're playing catch-up here, readout video from our Wednesday wake-up email newsletter. Our top story in this one is the Canadian government's achievement, if that's the right word for it, in setting remarkable benchmarks for public sector incompetence, including having bought the Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project, that's TMX to Insiders. It's one of the few domestic energy megaprojects that the government hadn't managed to destroy. And now, despite a boom in energy prices, it's getting set to lose a fortune on it. Four years ago, after having brought the private version close to disaster through endless regulatory dithering and obstruction, the Trudeau administration swooped in, bought it for $4.4 billion, and assured us it would have it all sorted out in no time. But time has passed, and now the latest estimate from the Parliamentary Budget Officer is that the project will cost $21.4 billion to complete, meaning its present net value is, oh dear, minus $600 million. How badly are things going, you ask? Or maybe you don't, but I'm going to tell you. Since the last Parliamentary Budget Officer assessment alone, the cost of TMX has increased from 12.6 to $21.4 billion. And Canadian cynics might say, well, all major Canadian government projects do that kind of thing. Look at defence procurement. But at least we think the Feds actually want to get military stuff right, however bad they are at it. Here there's the suspicion that, given their vocal commitment to eliminating fossil fuels, they're messing it up on purpose. Except if they were, the project would probably be steaming ahead and raking in the bucks. Instead, while Ukraine begs Canada to supply more energy, our leaders jet from continent to continent denouncing the fuel in their airplanes and the industry that produced it. The Parliamentary Budget Officer said even cancelling TMX altogether would require a write-off of over $14 billion. Frankly, that may be peanuts to an administration that's added over $500 billion to the federal debt since 2015 and is currently spending $452 billion a year and borrowing $44 billion of it. But the collapse of export revenue from fossil fuels and of our geopolitical position and in confidence in our government's capacities among citizens and allies alike would, you'd think, give them pause. But apparently you'd be wrong. Whereas nothing dents their confidence in big international climate gabfests with celebrities, politicians, fancy food, and private jet contrails. And every time they hold one of these, we're told, this one will do the trick, definitely for sure. And when it fizzles out, there are immediate calls for another one that will really get it done, even though the last one, like that proverbial tree in the forest, fell and made no sound. Go on. Where was it? Where was the last one? Answer, Bond or possibly Neverland. And what was it for? Why, to prepare for more talks. As Climate Home News put it, quote, the sense of urgency that emanated from COP26 continued to fizzle out this week as the climate diplomacy hardcore gathered in Germany for the Bonn climate talks, end quote. And the Financial Times was even blunter, quote, UN climate talks end in acrimony and accusations of betrayal, end quote. So, what's the plan? Do it all again in Sharm el Sheikh with COP27 from November 7th to 18th of this year. Huh, guys? This time for sure? And if not, the next one. That's going to be COP28 in the UAE in 2023 from November 6th to 17th. Or the next one, and so ad infinitum. Meanwhile, a news item in the Washington Post, if that's the right term, complained that, quote, an energy crisis and $5 gas aren't spurring a green revolution, end quote. 
Yeah, how strange. A lack of affordable energy is causing people to demand more of the affordable kind that works, not the stuff that costs too much and doesn't work. Just as the news that, quote, Quebec not on track to meet GHG reduction targets report, end quote, might lead some people to conclude that since its government pledges to meet the targets to the point of triggering a massive lawsuit for expropriating property from conventional energy producers, they don't know how. And you might reasonably conclude that the Canadian government doesn't either, given its decades of face plants on actual GHG targets, having missed everyone since 1993, but without acquiring any humility. And now, a word from our sponsor. And yes, it's still you. And we want to thank all the people who've responded to our appeals by making a one-time or monthly pledge. For the rest of you, I really want to emphasize, for us to produce the videos, for us to produce the newsletters, and keep injecting sanity into the climate debate, what we need is for one in six of our YouTube subscribers to click here and make a pledge of $2 a month, $3 a month, $5 a month. That's what it's going to take to sustain our efforts for as long as they're needed. So click here, cup of coffee a month, that'll keep us in business. And now, back to me. We also note that the spring and early summer of 2022 saw cooler conditions than last year. Certainly cooler than the drumbeat of doom predicted now that every year is among the hottest ever. It seems that out there in the world, beyond the computers, there were two recent spikes in temperature due to El Nino conditions, but otherwise there's been little or no warming trend in the last 20 years. And now we're getting La Ninas. In fact, we're supposedly going to get a rare triple dip. That's right, three La Ninas in a row. Nature magazine concedes that, quote, during La Nina years, the ocean absorbs heat into its depths, so global air temperatures tend to be cooler, end quote, including that in April 2022, there was a cold snap over the eastern equatorial Pacific that hadn't been seen at that time of year since 1950. But of course, cooling isn't climate, it's just weather. Warming is climate. So guess what? Nature says, quote, This particularly long La Nina is probably just a random blip in the climate scientists say, but some researchers are warning that climate change could make La Nina-like conditions more likely in future, end quote. So, warming will bring cooling? And since warming's always bad, does that at least mean cooling will be good? No, of course not. Quote, More La Nina events would increase the chance of flooding in Southeast Asia, boost the risk of droughts and wildfires in the southwestern United States, and create a different pattern of hurricanes, cyclones, and monsoons across the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans, as well as give rise to other regional changes. End quote. See, climate change wrecks the weather even when warming causes cooling. There is nothing it cannot do. Now, in the face of all this disaster, Dr. Jacqueline Gill insists to ward off climate doomism that, quote, for the defeatists inevitably in my mentions, we haven't had anything like a proper climate movement yet, end quote. No, certainly not. Just this thing that captured governments, corporations, the UN, universities, the media, Hollywood, and everything else down to your local third grade classroom. But maybe not second grade yet. In reply to her comment, Dr. Mead Crosby of CIGUW cheerfully shares a cheat sheet from a group called Talk Climate that says, quote, do empower kids to envision a clean, healthier, cleaner, and more equitable world, end quote, but, quote, don't present problems as intractable, don't perpetuate racist or fossil fuel polluter narratives, and don't present traumatic climate info before about grade three, end quote. After which, the more the better, apparently. And there's no shortage of doom to hit them with. 
A couple of months ago, the BBC felt compelled to dispel the notion that we might still have a fighting chance. Quote, a key finding in the latest IPCC climate report has been widely misinterpreted according to scientists involved in the study. In the document, researchers wrote that greenhouse gases are projected to peak at the latest before 2025. This implies that carbon could increase for another three years and the world could still avoid dangerous warming. But scientists say that's incorrect and that emissions need to fall immediately, unquote. Got that? If greenhouse gases peak before 2025, it's not good enough. They must fall immediately, which they obviously won't. So it's all over and we get dangerous warming. Now, clearly this whole story is tosh, since the notion that a difference of three years in when a mild decline in global emissions gets underway is the red line signaling dangerous warming is not one that anyone could take seriously. Or at least not one that they should be able to take seriously. Although, just as there's nothing that climate change cannot do, there seems to be nothing climate alarmists cannot believe. For instance, the Beeb says that people got confused by the settled-unsettled science, quote, partly because the climate models that scientists use to project temperatures work in five-year blocks. So 2025 follows 2020, for example, without reference to the years in between. Because models work on five-year increments, we can't derive statements with higher precision, said Dr. Georgie Rogali from Imperial College London and an IPCC lead author, end quote. Got that? We're basing our apocalyptic predictions and drastic prescriptions on models so clunky and early Minecraft-like that they can't even work on such a detailed scale as individual years. But they know exactly what will happen if we don't cut emissions until 2025 instead of 2022.5. And I can't help adding that the modelers might have told us how crude their supposedly hyper-sophisticated simulations are a bit sooner than this. Now, as our CDN by the Sea tour has shown, the notion of relentless, even accelerating sea level rise due to climate change is highly suspicious, since the seas are rising very slowly in a lot of places and falling in a surprising number of others. But, as Francis Tucker Manns wrote earlier this year, there's reason to think that even if seas are rising, the threat to major cities is vanishingly small because of an underappreciated but well-established aspect of that process that's been going on for thousands of years. See, we know the seas have been coming up for 12,000 years or so, which raises the question, why aren't most of the famous cities of antiquity submerged? Turns out it has to do with that classical Greek letter delta, as in river delta. Because while the seas are rising, the rivers are building coastlines outward, and the oceans are helping by slowing river flow and promoting the deposition of silt. Now, of course, if the oceans were to rise, say, 24 feet in a day, we'd be in... The Thames, whose tidal flux actually is that enormous in some places at certain times of year. Now, if they did it day after day and always just up, yeah, it would spell disaster, literally of biblical proportions. But if it were to happen over a period of several centuries, the impact on great coastal cities would be surprisingly small, even if people were too dumb or too poor to build dikes. Now, it's also true that bad water management can help prevent natural adaptation from happening, and humans are certainly capable of bad water management, including in liberal spots like, say, California. But overall, those animated graphics of the inundation of our great cities as God once again punishes us for our sins, climatic this time, are just scare stories. Now, another unshakable belief among climate alarmists is that wildfires are increasing around the world due to climate change. We already did some debunking of the great Amazon fire scare a few years ago, and now we broaden our perspective out to the world as a whole. 
Courtesy of the European Space Agency, we can see global average area burned as measured by a group of satellites going back as early as 1982, with a hat tip to Zoe Finn. The area burned drifted downwards until the early 1990s, then it went up for about 10 years, then it leveled off, and since 2013 it's been rapidly dropping. The series ends in 2018, and there it sits at the lowest point since the early 1990s. Behold the climate emergency. In the newsletter, we also continue our CDN by the Sea virtual tour with a note that as hurricane season is approaching, residents of the Caribbean need to take all the usual precautions in case a big one blows in unexpectedly, which sea level isn't going to do because it's not exactly operating on the same timetable. Here's the chart for Jibara in Cuba. And you see, at the current rate, it will take 399 years to rise by one meter. Finally, speaking of biblical things, we bring you frogs, courtesy of CO2Science.org. Specifically, a study on how organisms that can't really move adapt to changing circumstances wherever it is that they're stuck. The specific organism in this case is the pool frog, Pelophylax lasoni, which lives in places like Poland, Latvia, and Sweden, and apparently it's them evolutions again. If it gets warmer, frogs adapt. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and no, we're not all about to croak. <laughs> <laughs>